Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Hey, this is an Ask Dr. Pizza episode, which just means that I'm going to answer creative career questions about business, marketing, and creativity, and the creative career path sent in from you. How do you send in questions to be considered for an Ask Dr. Pizza episode? There are two ways. You can follow me on Instagram at AndyJPizza, and from time to time, I will do a question dialogue box sticker on Instagram stories and you can submit your questions. And if you submit them that way, they will remain anonymous. I will not say who it is that asked that question. If you want to send them right after this episode or any other time, send them to Andy at Andy-J-Miller.com. Andy at Andy dash j dash miller dot com uh, or just go to my website if you can't figure that out and find uh, an email to send it to with a subject that says ask dr pizza those emails will get put into a folder that i will be searching through when i go do the next ask dr pizza episode you can ask to remain nameless or uh, remain anonymous Or you can say, please give me a shout out and a shout out to my social links or website or whatever. You can write the question or you can even record the question like it's Delilah or something, Uh, like it's a radio show. (laughs) And I actually prefer that and give yourself a shout out or remain anonymous, however you like. But I like that vibe. We have one of those questions on today's episode from from a caller, if you will. So you can email those over Uh, and they'll get put into the pile. But here we go. We're going to go through all kinds of different ideas about finding your style, how to have, uh, how to get stuff done and be productive, uh, and all kinds of other good stuff. This is going to be a a stellar episode, I think. Here we go. Dr. Pizza. So we had a bunch of questions about this quandary, questions about quandaries. And the quandary is, do I just need one style? 
Why can't I have three styles, Andy? I never said you had to have one style, first of all. I have, there are many facets to my style, uh, to my voice. There's a bunch of different kinds of, you know, when I'm working with clients or brands, it's usually a vector version of what I do. And if I'm working in books or editorial, I prefer to work with uh, more hand-drawn Photoshop, painterly types of work. And what I do for my personal work and what I do for client work, there's a lot of variations, although it might not seem like it. And, the, and I want to get to a deeper question that I think will help answer this question in a more profound way and get to the heart of what's really going on here. So why do, if, if Andy J. Pizza never said you had to have one style, who told you that you had to have one style? Well, here's why I think you say that. And I think it's because the creative people at the top of their game, we see that they often have what we perceive to be one style if you will. And we see that there's some kind of correlation between extreme creative success and some kind of recognizable style. And I think that that style is more of the end and not the means. It's kind of the result of the important work, but it can end up seeming like the path it can seem like that's how you get to the success is deciding a style when actually I think that there's a bunch of groundwork that needs to be done that results in a clear voice. Tim Goodman, I heard him say that what you say often determines, determines what you, what you say often determines how you say what you say, depending on if you're angry it's gonna change the style, or if you're loving, or if you're caring, or if you're sweet, or if you're whispering, what you wanna say, why you wanna say that, is going to determine, determine how you say it, and how you do something is your style, how you go about doing it. And so I think that there's these deeper questions about voice and purpose and why and message that determine what your style is going to be. And so asking what should my style be is maybe the wrong first question. So what is the right first question? I have two things that I think you should think about when determining your style. And the first one is trust. So the first one is trust because Business is all about trust. Business is about building a thriving, consistently growing business is about being reliable for a, for a customer base. They have to know that they can come to you to get the thing that they need. I had Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream on this podcast uh, uh, a while ago, and she told this story about her first ice cream store. It was called Scream, not Jenny's. Uh, and, and this ice cream store actually failed. And what it was, was she would make whatever type of ice cream she felt like making that day. And she kind of approached it for, from the perspective of what she thought was art, where it's all kind of the focus on what the artist feels like doing and everybody else just kind of gathering around and being like, 
wow, I'm marveling at what you're wanting to do. And it's kind of this glory model of creativity, glory model of business, where you're just so amazing, people gather for miles to be like, wow, look at that, amazing. Uh, and she would make this ice cream and people would come and say, hey, do you have that stuff you made two weeks ago? And they're like, no, I'm making this totally new thing. And people are like, oh, I'm not sure I want that new thing. And as a bit, you, it's really hard to get repeat customers if they don't see anything that they can trust consistently. And she changed that model because she noticed that her own buying patterns reflected the behaviors of her customers. So when she went to her favorite coffee shop and they didn't have the scone that she loves and goes there for, she quit going to that shop because the way that she spends her money isn't about other people. And I think that we have this idea that patronage of the arts is somehow some kind of nonprofit where your patrons or your customers or clients are just like, that thing you're doing that you feel like doing that you're just having a good time with, I want to just throw money at that. I don't care if I get anything out of it. I just want you to be happy and sustain. And I, I, you know, I can feel why that might seem like what's going on, but I started thinking about it. Even the people, the creative people that I get the, the most jazzed about, the people that I support the most financially and emotionally and, uh, and, and with my attention, if they go down a path where all of a sudden I'm not getting anything from their creativity, like I'm com it's completely lost me, I have to abandon my patronage. You know, my money and my time and my attention is just so much more important. You know, I've got all of that stuff I could be spending on my kids, let alone your own creative endeavors. And so I can't think of any creative person that I would continue just giving money to just so that they can do their thing, whatever that might be. Once I can't rely on them to get the kind of thing that I need from their creativity, then I'm not going to be buying their stuff anymore. And uh, I think that there's one, this is probably the thing I'm most excited to share with you in this episode. So if you don't get anything else, get this. There's this study by Bain and Company, B-A-I-N and Company, and it's called Elements of Value. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but you can also just search it and find it on Google. We've talked about in the past this idea from Josh Kaufman's book, The Personal MBA. Uh, it's the five core human drives. Uh, and, it ba and we've talked about how you can supply value in your creative work by speaking to those drives and you can go research Josh Kaufman. I'll put that in the show notes. You show note people. I wanted to call you something else, but you, you guys are militant with your show note obsession. I can't remember all the things I say sometimes on this podcast. It's hard to document, but I'll do my best. I'll put those in the show notes as well. But the Bain and Company's Elements of Value is kind of a, uh, a deeply expanded version of those core drives where they break down, not those exact core drives, but uh, the core drives of people into 30 possible categories that your business can speak to. And the top part of that pyramid, which are the most important to humans, the most valuable, the deepest desires, but maybe the less essential are all at the top of the pyramid and they're things that art speaks to. Things like 
Um, things like entertainment, identity, providing hope, motivation, belonging, nostalgia, self-transcendence. That's the top of the pyramid. And these are all things that the arts supply. That's the value of art. Go check out that pyramid and start asking yourself the question, what kinds of value do I want to deliver with my art? Because the type of value that you want to deliver will determine how you deliver it. If you want to deliver nostalgia, that will impact your style in a dramatic way. If you want to uh, provide hope, you're not going to do crazy, dark, gritty, grungy, paint splattered, ink flying all over the place, blood spilling artwork. That's probably not the vibe you're going to do. It's going to be the precursor that determines how. Your why. Why are you making this stuff? And if you want to know what type of value you should provide in your artwork, I would ask yourself this question. What do you value? And there's an easy way to understand what you value. You might say you value nostalgia. You might say you value uh, hope and motivation. But what you value is what you spend money on. That's what you really value. What type of art do you buy and what do you get from it? Does it say something about your identity? Is it something about your tribe, your belonging? Is it something that helps you transcend yourself? Is it something that helps you self-actualize things that help you get to know yourself? Why do you buy the art you buy? That will determine the val what you value. And it's probably something you're gonna be pumped about pouring more into the world. And once you understand why you're making what you're making, you will have a much better idea of how you're going to make it, which is your style. The second thing I want to talk about is authenticity. Uh, authenticity is the second reason I think we feel as though we need to have one clear style uh, because we we know that we appreciate art that seems sincere and authentic. And, uh, and actually, I think if it's authentic, if a pivot in someone's style feels authentic, we will allow it as an audience. And I think the only way you can be yourself is if you know yourself. And so, again, another encouragement to do the deep work of knowing thyself so that you can be thyself in your work. And then I would also say, get to know yourself by making work, which starts out as making in a lot of different styles. You know, my youngest baby She's still surprising us with the way that she says things, with the, how she says things, what she's saying. Like we're surprised all the time. Like the other day we're talking about remake, remodeling the kitchen and she starts talking about all the practical sides of this because she's worried about it and she's worried like, who's going to do this? And she says, am I going to have to carry the oven <laughs> and she's three years old and it blew us away because we don't know her yet. She's still becoming a person at three years old. We're like, 
I'd never thought you would be worried about this. Uh, but my six-year-old, right? My six-year-old knows himself a little bit better, uh, but he's still kind of mimicking other people. He talks a lot like his mom who has a British accent. Yes, it is extremely cute, this little boy who has this weird transatlantic accent. Uh, but he picks up things from other people. When he spends time with his friend, he starts talking like him. And there's still just this murkiness with who he's going to be, but he's more developed than the three-year-old. And the nine-year-old, when the nine-year-old, when we go to England and she starts putting on a heavy British accent, we're like, that's inauthentic, okay? <laughs> we know how you talk. We know a lot about who you are, and that just doesn't seem right. Or she hangs out with a bad friend or something. She comes home with a nasty attitude, and we're like, that's just not you. Like, we know who you are. Simba. Remember who you are, but you can't remember who you are. You can't remember Simba if you don't know Simba. So get to know who's on the inside. Get to know who's in the reflection in the water. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you got to get to know yourself to be yourself, to be authentic. And that's one of the other reasons you might feel pressure to have one style. And the journey to getting authentic, the journey to knowing thyself, it actually probably starts with speaking like your mom. It might start with looking like other people and trying different things and, and doing a bunch of stuff. And so if you have a million styles, that might just be the stage you're at. It's okay. You're three years old and you're still worrying about taking in the oven. That doesn't make any sense as an analogy, but you know what I'm talking about. You're on my page. Okay, here's our next question. It comes from Christian Westfall. You can follow Christian at X-I-A-N-W-E-S-T on Instagram. Really cool design, illustration, collage work there. And this is what Christian asks. Well, first of all, I just want to say, hi, Christian. Thanks for your super kind note. It made me cry. Uh, he sent a really encouraging note about the podcast via email, and uh, I really needed to hear it. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute, but let's just talk about the question. How about that? Do you have any tips for battling dancing with ADHD in order to stay on track and get things done? And actually, part of the reason I picked this question is because I got so many questions from creative people of all, all types uh, that probably aren't ADHD. Some of them are. I think lots and lots of creative people struggle to get things done, be productive, you know, succeed in business. I feel like all the things that make you a great creative person are not necessarily conducive to succeeding in business. Hence this podcast. We need a lot of pep talks, a lot of encouragement, uh, <laughs> a lot of reformation to get where we want to go and exist in the world that we find ourselves in. And so I got tons and tons of questions about how do you stay on track? How do you get things done? How do you be productive? How do you have discipline? Um, and I can definitely speak to this because I have ADHD personally and this is a massive struggle for me. So I wanted to open this question. I want to give you some tips that have dramatically helped me and they've and they would they've been essential to getting to where I am today with my 
uh, career doing books and podcasts and illustration and public speaking, juggling all kinds of things, managing a household with three kids uh, and uh, all the stuff that comes with that. But you hear that big sigh? That means I'm going to get serious uh, and vulnerable here for a minute. Before I start saying, here's how you become amazing at productivity. I'm not a productivity czar. It's laughable that I would give anybody tips on productivity because I, you know, maybe I am productive. I do make a lot of stuff, but I also am always struggling with it. It's never a thing where I'm just like naturally kicking butt on all fronts. And, you know, the past couple months I have, you know, maybe even the past year has been a struggle for me. Uh, Sophie, my wife, could definitely testify for how on edge I've been for a year, um, stressed out. Uh, and not, and I don't want to say, sometimes I think I might, part of the reason I don't want to be vulnerable in this way is because can sound like my life's miserable. It absolutely is not. In the same way that you probably had, uh, you know, in the past seven days, you know, one or two dark days or one or two dark afternoons or mornings or whatever, I have too. And most of my time over the past year has been the best it's ever been. Uh, it also has come with all these new challenges, uh, all of these new tests on my strength as a person and my ability to be productive and stay on task and and manage uh, a bunch of things that don't come naturally to me. And I'm in this very weird phase where I feel like the podcast, it, the, the more time and energy I put into it, the better the episodes are. And meanwhile, I'm an illustrator and I'm doing bigger jobs than I've ever done in my life. Uh, you know, my, my illustration in terms of books and, and my personal kind of stuff for uh, direct to an audience has never been uh, working more than it is now. It's kind of popping off in all kinds of new ways and new directions that are really exciting in terms of the books I could make and the, and the personal, you know, fiction stuff and all that kind of thing. And I basically feel unable to choose where to focus. You know, one of the things that I think has made this podcast what it is, is not me speaking from an experience, but speaking from starting by building a career in illustration that's legit in its own right. You know, a middle class salary in illustration and design before I do a podcast and have my you know, feet firmly in the ground of making stuff before I'm talking about making stuff. And that's always been a really big deal to me. And even as I'm saying that, I'm guessing you're nodding your head like, yeah, that makes sense. And that's good. But now that the podcast is an art for me all on its own, it's an art of storytelling and communication and metaphor. And, you know, there's a there's kind of a poetic nature to that that feeds my artistic side really well. But it's become this really massive battle uh, for me of trying to feeling like I have to be a top caliber illustrator and the podcast has to be a top caliber podcast that 
competes in the world of podcasting. And, uh, you know, my personal stuff, my books and all this stuff. There's, I'm just juggling a lot of stuff. And guess what? I have ADHD. I'm not good at juggling a bunch of stuff. I'm not good at being productive on command. And so I've been stressed. And I got that email from Christian and he was just encouraging me about how this work matters and what it means to him and the audience. And uh, it touched me. And I didn't expect to. I, you know, um, I get a lot of correspondence like that, that it, it all means a lot, but I rarely um, well up. And so thank you for that kind note. I do want to not just say, I suck at it too. And that, that's all I've got. I actually have made a lot of progress in my ability to get stuff done. You know, I think myself 10 years ago, seeing what I'm doing now, uh, I think about Andy back then and how overwhelmed he was by having even just one or two things to do. And I think if he could see what I'm juggling and doing and producing on a weekly basis right now, that he'd be like, well, how do you do that? And I'd say, oh, let me tell you, past Andy. This is how I would do, this is how I did it. The first thing you got to do is research. You got to know yourself. You've got to know yourself. There's no way around it. A few episodes ago, we talked about Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies, and it's basically understanding yourself and how you uh, form habits and how you can kind of hack what type of personality you are for progress. And we're not all the same. You know, the advice that works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me. We all have different types of brains. And for someone with ADHD, you do not have a neurotypical brain. Your brain actually works in a different way. And if you try to use the advice that works for somebody else or, or somebody who has a neurotypical brain, it's not going to work for you. It might even be counterproductive to you. It might be part of the reason why you've struggled so hard to make any progress because you're trying to use what works for them. And so through research, now you might not be ADHD, but you do have a certain type of brain that works in a certain way that needs the, a certain way of incentivizing yourself to get where you want to go. So one of the things I learned about ADHD as I dove into it and the type of brain that I have is that rewards don't matter that much and importance that other people put on tasks doesn't matter that much. It does not matter how important in quotes a task may be if I don't feel like doing it, if I don't enjoy the process. You can say, that's not ADHD, that's called being a bad person. Guess what? Sometimes they're the same thing and uh, that's just true. If I don't enjoy the process, it is going to involve tantrums. Uh, to get that thing done, a.k.a. taxes. Tax season's come out, coming up. For all you ADHD people, I'm sure that's a trigger word. It is for me. Seriously, I get real anxiety around that word and, and traumatic stress. I, it's not a joke. I get so worked up. I'm getting worked up right now talking about it. <laughs> but here's what I learned. Rewards don't work for me. Uh, you know, People saying this is really important doesn't work for me. What works for me is enjoying the process. And you might say, Andy, you can't enjoy the process of everything that you do. And I will say, let me try. And how do I try? Well, I've learned this technique. It's called bundling. And it's one of my favorite words. And it's one of my favorite tactics. I just like to say bundling. I like all the phonetics of bundling. It's uh, <laughs> bundle is one of my favorite words. <laughs> anyway, bundling. 
Bundling. <laughs> keep saying it. But here's what it means. It means taking an activity you don't like to do and pairing it, bundling it, if you will, with an activity you do like to do. And I learned this intuitively as a kid. So as a kid, I hated mowing the yard. We had a massive yard, required all kinds of meticulous mowing, lots of obstacles, trees, landscaping, all this kind of garbage. And uh, <laughs> I had to mow that yard and I freaking hated it. I even would fake injury <laughs> to get out of mowing. Just just trying to survive because I just hated it so bad until I realized that I could make special playlists by taping with a cassette tape songs off the radio that I was into, you know, fresh tunes like Bone Thugs and Harmony Crossroads. I probably taped that song like three times in a row on this playlist and I would use this tape, this playlist tape only playlist mixtape that's what they were called back then i would use this mixtape only when i was mowing so that i looked forward to mowing and it totally worked and guess what i still do it you know what i freaking love i love taking baths you might not like baths you might think they're disgusting you might be wrong because you are wrong because bath times are the best i I'm never happier than when I'm in water. If I'm in the ocean or I'm in a hot tub, there's something about this sensory deprivation that calms my brain and I just freaking love it. Probably another ADHD thing. I hope you're not playing a drinking game. I mean, where you drink every time I say ADHD or you're going to be blitzed on this one. But just on this question, I'm not going to talk about every question, but I love being submerged in water. And it's one of the only ways I get email done. (laughs) I do emails on my phone and sometimes I'm overwhelmed by my inbox. I tell Sophie, look, you can't stop me taking a bath. I know it's the middle of the workday, but I'm taking a long bath. And why can I justify it? Because I'm going to be productive in there. Okay. And so that's one of my bundling ideas. I hate tidying up, tidying up and cleaning. And I pair that with phone calls with friends or podcasts. And now mowing is one of my favorite parts of the week in the summer because I listen to podcasts while I mow. So bundling, but the deeper takeaway there is knowing what works for you, researching and figuring out and testing your own brain. I did some long answers, so let's just knock a few out. Here's the, uh, if if you started over as a creative, would you do anything differently? And the, there's only one thing that really comes to mind that I really wish that I would have done differently. And actually, I still need to work on this, but I really, really believe it, uh, is that I wish that I would have approached networking not as a ladder, but as a talent scout kind of approach where I looked around to the people around me, you know, when I was at school or when I was doing stuff in London or even in Indiana or here in Ohio, I wish I would just look, or even online, uh, this still happens all the time when I go to conferences, when I meet people and I meet someone who I just know because I have quote unquote good taste. So my own personal taste that resonates with my types of people. It's not necessarily what's good and what's not good, but my particular taste. And I stumble upon a person that I know is 
good. I know that they've got the goods and they're either at my level or below me or just a little bit ahead of me. And I see that potential and I wish when I was starting out that I would have believed in my friends and believed in those around me that I knew were great before anybody else did. Uh, yeah, because I think I have a lot to benefit from that kind of behavior. I think that um, when you bet on those people and you believe in those people, you get to rise with their ship. And I think that that's great. But ultimately, also, I wanted to be the person on just an emotional level who, before anybody else said it, said, you know what? You're amazing. And, when, and I want them to look back and be like, you know what? Andy, before anybody, believed in me. And I just want to be that kind of energy. I don't know if I talked about this recently on, on the podcast or not, but it's uh, so on my heart of hearts. It's on my heart of hearts of hearts. That's three hearts uh, that I want to just reiterate it, even if I've said it recently. My younger sister, who is in the corporate world, is really brilliant and doing really well in that. She's uh, quite a bit younger than me, so she's just getting started in her, her career. And when you work in a business... Um, and you're all on the same team, the people ahead of you that see tremendous potential in you actually have a lot to gain from investing in you. And so if they see this person is going to be a superstar, they're like double down, like invest in this person, develop this person, celebrate and, and incentivize this person. But when you are on the creative career path, when you're with creative people who are struggling with their own glory and ego and also competition, where your you're solo business, uh, surrounded by other people with solo businesses, often when people see potential in you, they do the exact opposite. They try to throw a stick in the spoke of your bicycle they try to trip you up because they see tremendous potential in you and it threatens their own meal. It threatens their own survival. And in the creative world, I'm sorry to say, it's part of the reason I do this podcast, I feel like it can be a pretty nasty environment behind the scenes. You don't know how often I've seen when someone starts taking off, how at the conferences and behind closed doors, people will start talking crap about that person and tearing them down and spreading rumors or bad blood about that person. And it just breaks my heart. It just really breaks my heart. And I want to be the solution to that problem. I want to be the antidote to that poison. Um, so on an emotional level, but also in the same way, I just believe that, uh, you know, this idea that for com comedians, uh, you know, the bigger a comedian gets in the mainstream, the bigger comedy gets. Like there will be break, breakout com comedians, stand-up comedians that will bring stand-up comedy to new people that have never listened before and get them into the art. And it actually is good for the industry, everybody in the industry. And so it's a win-win. So there you go. That's what I wish I would do, would have done differently and I'm still trying to work on doing differently. Here's another question. It, I've got two book deals, but I still feel like an imposter. When does that stop? Well, it doesn't. Bad news. 
I still deal with it. Lots of people I know deal with it. The imposter syndrome. Some people don't deal with it, but a lot of us do. We know how the sausage is made, so to speak. We know we've seen the messy journey to get where we are, and we're aware of our own. Uh, guess what? Guess what? Whoever you are, wherever you are, you suck in lots of ways. Sorry to break it to you, friend. Most of the time, the Creative Pep Talk podcast is all about saying, you're fantastic, but I got to be honest with you. In some ways, if you're a human, you suck. You suck in certain ways and you've failed in certain ways and you're going to fail and make mistakes and blow it and do the wrong thing and make the wrong call, sometimes on accident, sometimes on purpose. It's a messy journey. Here's three things that I'm going to tell you if you struggle with imposter syndrome. First, know the truth. Here's the thing. Don't listen to feedback from people that don't really know anything about what it takes to win the type of fight that you're fighting. Uh, you know, there's a famous Theodore Roosevelt quote that Brene Brown uh, always talks about, and it's this idea of being in the arena. Like, if you're in the fight uh, and you're taking hits and you're struggling and straining and, tra- and training, straining and training for to box it out. You know what it takes. You know what it's like. You know the truth about what it means to be in the ring. But guess who doesn't know the truth? The fans, the critics, the audience. You have no idea how many times I get a note from somebody saying, hey, is this your work? And I'm like, no, that's not my work. That's a friend of mine or that's a hero of mine or that's, you know, like my whole market. There's a whole movement of illustration that my stuff is part of and it's humbling and I'm guessing people in the 70s you know the top illustrators of the 70s they all thought they were doing this mind-meltingly original stuff and you look back and you can't really tell the difference between the greats often and you know to me my work has never felt more original and pure and authentic and little message like that in the past especially could send me for a whirlwind why do they think my work looks like that person's work and it's because they're not in the arena they might be in their own arena but they're not in my arena and they don't know what it takes and they don't know what the what what it takes to make that sausage Right? And so you can't trust them. You got to listen to the people that have been in the ring, that know what they're talking about, that have experienced those experiences, and, uh, and let those people's feedback matter to you. Two other things. One, embrace the mess. Embrace the messiness of this journey. I don't know any great creative that hasn't had some mess along the way. People like Pharrell, Led Zeppelin, Robin Williams, they all had moments in their career where it got messy, where people had big critiques of what they were doing and how they were doing it and where the creative work came from. And they experimented this way and that way. And that one backfired. That one didn't work out. They took too much influence over there. They crossed the line over there. They were offensive over there. Look. Creative work is a art. It's not something you ever master. It's something you can only improve on. And you're going to get it wrong sometimes because it's an experiment. And so you got to embrace the mess and just realize that even if you get it wrong, that'll just be a blip on the longer journey of what you're doing. And then another one is go deeper, go beyond ego. One thing that helps me is getting outside of myself. 
seeing the big picture. See, for me, I think about creativity more like science than I do this kind of ego glory worship thing. I think about it more like we're pushing creativity forward for the benefit of mankind and we're working together. And yes, I believe in copyright. I, I believe in uh, people not stealing from each other uh, and, and not taking advantage and, and getting the benefit and incentive uh, from somebody else's journey. But I also believe that ultimately we're all in this together, trying to push creativity forward, trying to push humanity forward with the stories that we're telling with our creativity. And uh, recently I just listened to this episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast with Susan Cain. She's famous for her book, Quiet, and her TED Talk on being an introvert. Uh, and it's a phenomenal interview. I think Tim is such a uh, idiosyncratic uh, interviewer. Um, he's so funny the way he does it, but I think it really results in some fantastic interviews, this being one of them, Susan Cain. I'll put it in the show notes, uh, you show note people. And she said something I thought, man, this is something that helps me so much uh, so often. And she said when she gets nervous about doing public speaking, she tries to remember that something she might say might affect just one person in the audience, and that person might only just be passing on something to it, their kid that's struggling with something. So, you know, this real massive humility of, you know, look, maybe this audience has heard ever, all this stuff or whatever, but maybe my particular way of saying it might change the life of just one of their kids. And that's why I've got to go in there and give it my all. And she said that, you know, Tim said, oh, is that kind of like lowering the bar? Like all I have to do is, uh, all I have to do is change one life in there for it to matter. And I don't have to change everybody's life. And that's kind of why it helps. And she said, no, it's not really about, it's literally kind of the opposite of focusing on what I have to do or, or what I get out of it or what I accomplish. And it's getting outside of myself and realizing it's not about me. I'm not doing this for my own benefit. And it doesn't matter if I come across like an idiot. It doesn't matter if I uh, look like a goofball. It doesn't matter really because ultimately it's not about me. And it's about getting outside of myself. And when I go do a talk, I try to get into that zone. And remember, you're not up there, Andy, to seek glory. You're not up there so that everybody leaves thinking, Andy is awesome. Can you believe how awesome he is? You're up there and you're doing this so that hopefully something you say is something someone else needs to hear that day. And maybe it just changes their day. And that you know how important it is. And that's one of the reasons why I think about this all the time. And this was supposed to be a short answer and it wasn't. But I think about this all the time. Art matters. Do you know how often art changes your day? And to you, I think about these artists that I know struggle and they're in the mess of it and they're worried about it. And so often I wish I could just shake these people these artists and say, not, not as a fan, not as someone who's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you make this art. I like it. No, shake them and say, you changed my day once or you changed my year. You moved me. You showed something about me that I didn't know and it helped me move on. It helped me break through. It helped me change. It helped me grow. It gave me peace and it matters. What you're doing matters. So, that's what I wanted to say about that. And another last quick one is someone said, what's your favorite soundtrack of a Zelda game? So this is kind of only for 
Zelda uh, people, but I will actually bring that back real quickly for non-Zelda people. I tried to extrapolate some kind of core truth out of this so that the non-Zelda people didn't just shut off the podcast, but super fast. I can't really put an order to these, but my top three are Ocarina of Time, Link to the Past, and Breath of the Wild. Ocarina of Time, Song of Storms in particular. Anybody know? Anybody hear what I'm putting out there? That jam. Ooh, it's just that melancholy kind of sad vibe that I'm into. Uh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. But just to bring it back, one thing I thought a lot about in terms of playing Zelda recently. So Breath of the Wild, if you've listened to this podcast for very long, you know I'm obsessed with the video game Zelda from Nintendo. Their latest version is Breath of the Wild. I did a whole series about, about Breath of the Wild because I love that game so much. And in fact, that game has kind of ruined video games for me. I completed almost everything in the game. And now I don't know what to do with my life. And I'm lost. <laughs> and I keep wishing I could go back to Christmas time last year and play it all over again afresh. And one of the things that's happened is because I'm trying to relive that season of my life, I can't enjoy the current season. I can't enjoy the new thing that's trying to happen because I'm trying to relive the old thing. And one of the ways that that shows up in my creative work is inspiration. You know, have you ever had a favorite song that you just played a jillion times until it just didn't have a breath left in its carcass? It's a carcass of a song. There's nothing left to give. You've sucked out all of the life. And often our inspiration is like that. And we build our identity around our inspiration. We build our identity around these experiences of, I love going to bookstores. This is Andy I'm making fun of from seven years ago. Bookstores. If I could just be in a bookstore my whole life, I just wouldn't be in a bookstore. I like being in bookstores now. But it used to be I'd go to a bookstore and uh, I would never, there was so much I hadn't seen. And these things that were being published, I was just like, Oh my gosh, it's changing my life. And I made bookstores a part of my identity. But the fact of the matter is I'm so deep into my industry now that I have to look, I have to go to like the independent comics festivals to find something like that. I have, it has to be, I had to realize that the same things that used to light my fire don't light my fire anymore. And the only way you do that is to be open to new experiences and quit trying to relive the greatness yesterday in today, or you're going to miss the fresh greatness being offered to you in this season. So what kind of new inspiration do you need? The Song of Storms isn't going to do it for you anymore, Andy. You've listened to that tiny little melody 8,000 times. You've got to find some new games. Hi, Dr. Pizza. This is Courtney Rivenbark from Wilmington, North Carolina. I love your podcast and am so obsessed with Creative Pep Talk. It's a ritual listening for me. Um, what I would really love to hear is hearing your perspective on what to charge for an illustration. And I want specific numbers. I mean, I know it's different for everyone, but I would really love to talk numbers because it's scary. 
um, and it's boring, but you have such a fun way of putting things and illustrating them in my mind. Um, and, and I'm a woman and asking for what I'm worth is a bit difficult and I'm also a, a younger illustrator, but I'm, I'm 25. Um, I'm currently in school right now, but I, um, I did not learn how to draw from school and I have a lot of experience and my portfolio is pretty, pretty awesome, might I say. Um, you know, for, I, I just, I think for my age um, and where I live too. Um, and I don't, I guess being in school, like I know your experience dictates how much you ask for, but I don't know. I just, I don't know if you would have an interesting perspective on any of this. Um, and maybe you would bring on another woman, woman creator, or you would approach this as a solo project. I don't know what your approach would be, but I fully support it and am ready to listen if you choose this question. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything you do. Courtney Rivenbark? Ooh, that's fun to say. Rivenbark. Rivenbark. I wish my last name was Rivenbark and I wouldn't have had to change it to pizza. Uh, Miller's like the most boring name. Rivenbark. Uh, so I actually answered this question on pricing last episode of Ask Dr. Pizza, episode 208. So you can go check that out. Uh, you asked for specific numbers. I'll tell you this. When I was first starting out, I did something that I think is a really helpful tool, and I asked someone who's about a year or two ahead of me at that time what they charged for their day rate. Uh, or what they charge for a particular project. And they said they charge $300 a day. So that's what I started charging. But if you want a more systematic method to go into day rates and project rates and usage and all that, go back to episode 208 and listen through. I answered it pretty detailed there. But I wanted to include this question because something you said resonated on a deep level for me. And it was when you said... Numbers are boring. I, <laughs> I hate numbers so much. You don't even understand. Anytime anybody brings up numbers in my adult life, I'm like, whoa, man. Why do you think? Oh, disgusting. What do you, why do you think I became an illustrator? Oh, I wanted to leave numbers in high school. And even someone asked me, how old's your kid? And I'm like, whoa, how old are my children? That's three numbers. I've got three children. That's so many numbers I have to talk about, and I just, it's not my jam. Numbers have never been my jam. They stress me out, and I think I figured out why, and actually in figuring out why, I started to embrace numbers, and for you creative people, the reason I share this is two things. It's kind of a weird rumination. It's not really an answer to the question, but it's something that I find inspiring and encouraging, and so I think it belongs on this podcast. First of all, if you're someone who hates numbers or if you're someone who doesn't hate numbers, if you love numbers and you love creativity, let me just say something to you. You suck. Why do you get everything? Why can you do numbers and painting and drawing and making stuff too? It's not fair. The gifts were supposed to be handed out, you know, in equal proportion. And I'm angry at you anyway. For those of you that 
don't like numbers, what about this? There's a guy named Giles Deleuze. You can listen to an, a few episodes on him from the Philosophize This podcast. He's a postmodern philosopher, and he talked about this idea of imminence. And he said that all philosophers of the past, or the majority of them, talked about transcendence. And transcendence means we're living on this low level where we're experiencing reality with our senses, but there's these higher dimension where you know higher dimensional divine beings, celestial beings hang out, and that's transcendent. And we we have to get beyond our senses to get to the transcendence of true reality. And Deleuze was like, no, you're missing the point. And actually that, that creates all kinds of problems when we separate reality into non-transcendent and transcendent. And actually there's only one substance in the universe. And you can think about it like from the higher dimensions, a bright white light hitting our subs, our hitting our three-dimensional space and refracting into a spectrum of colors and reality. And so that bright light is pulsing through our three dimensions. And as it refracts, it turns into flowers and people and colors and molecules and smells and tastes and sounds. But really, it seems like a bunch of different things. It seems like a bunch of different colors. It seems like a giant spectrum, but it's just really one thing one substance. So there is no non-transcendent and transcendent. It's all transcendent, baby. Does that make any sense? Hopefully not, because it's that mind-blowing. Your mind has to explode to actually encapsulate this new information. And what does that have to do with pricing? Not very much. I hijacked this freaking question from my own devices to talk about something I'm interested in. Since I've already talked about pricing, <laughs> I just wanted to say that I think... The proof of this philosophy is in the idea of synesthesia. I think synesthesia is this thing that we think of as like kind of a disorder where, and if you don't know, it's where you're mixing up senses, you're combining senses. It's people that can see sound or smell sound or they see music as colors. Like a lot of creative people have synesthesia. And actually, I have a weird form of synesthesia that I didn't even know was synesthesia. And it's one of the reasons why numbers are difficult for me. See, when I was a kid and I would be doing math and it would be like seven plus two and most people would be like nine. And I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on there, partner. It's a lot more complicated than that. Sevening two coming together in this kind of relationships just tough because seven's this confident, self-assured, whole number, but two, oh, so much emotional baggage is just getting started. It doesn't know who it is or what it wants. It's competitive. It's trying thing. It's soft. It's squishy. Ah, man, seven plus two? Huh, what? Hmm, what could it be? And so while I'm doing these timed tests, these multiplication tests, I'm getting all worked up because for me, numbers have personality and I mix up numbers with people. And so it's this complicated synesthesia of seeing numbers as personalities. And guess what? That's helped me like numbers because numbers are people too. What do I mean? As I mean numbers are people, are flowers, are colors. It's all that bright white light refracting into a million jillion substances, sub-substances. 
all from the same thing. And so don't get mad at numbers. Don't hate on numbers. Be inspired by numbers. Numbers are people. Sounds are smells. Is this answer insane? Is it one of the strangest things I've ever said on the podcast? Have I lost all of you? I hope that I have. I hope that I'm speaking such crazy, bonkers, stuff that you've never heard that you're like, huh? But at the same time, like, yeah, I'm feeling it. So that was just a break from the practical stuff that I have to do just to justify my own interest and excitement about this episode and talk to you about imminence, talk to you about refraction, talk to you about numbers are people too. Lots of these questions had a lot of pain and struggle in them and Boy, do I (laughs) know the pain and struggle of a creative career path. I feel your pain. I feel your fear. But more than anything, I feel that spirit of defeat in these questions. There's so much defeat in so many of these questions, and it just breaks my heart because I've been there so many times. It's actually really easy for me to feel defeated. I'm kind of a wimp. I'm very emo. And in fact, at the start of recording this episode, I was feeling defeated. Yesterday, I tried to record this episode and I really needed to get it done yesterday. And for a million reasons, I ran into a bunch of difficulties and I couldn't avoid it. And I had to give up getting it done yesterday and I was feeling so defeated and distraught and hopeless about just like, oh, I had to get this done and I couldn't get it done. (laughs) All those feelings. So I decided I'll wake up really early today, even though it's Saturday, and I will record this episode. And before I hit record, I was just feeling super defeated. Yesterday, my friend Fran, Franerd, Uh, who's been on the show, who uh, is a good online buddy of mine, told me that I should consider creating a document that helps people pep talk themselves with helpful questions that prompt, uh, you know, the things that they might need to hear in 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 a moment where maybe the doctor pizza isn't available to pep them up. What are some tools to help pep talk yourself? And that prompt that she gave me, she didn't realize it was the prompt that I needed to pep talk myself to figure out, uh, you know, that along with the pain in these questions got me thinking about how do you get yourself up off the floor when you're feeling defeated? What kind of questions or thoughts, what, what exercises can you do to help stimulate some fire? So what helps me break out of these moments? What helped me get into a place where I could record this episode? I want to share with you an exercise that is really, really powerful for me. So one thing that helps me a ton is time travel. (laughs) Seriously, though, not literal time travel, but uh, a time travel exercise, a meditation on the fact that quantum physicists and scientists and smart people that are a lot smarter than me assure me that time is just an illusion that we are trapped in by experiencing the universe in our three-dimensional space. So because we experience our universe in space, we experience time 
in this way that we do as this linear thing, past, present, future, but the universe doesn't actually exist that way. And I try to embrace this idea in my meditation, which is often more like a marination because I'm usually sitting in the bathtub when I'm having these thoughts. So I'm marinating my mind in this truth that time isn't real, time is an illusion, and I try to pep talk my past self. And actually, I think, I think back to my past self from 10 years ago, and I know exactly what I need to hear in that moment. I think back to 10 years ago, and this isn't the exercise. I'm going to get to the exercise in a minute, but this explains the exercise. I think back to my past self from 10 years ago, and I know what I needed to hear. I needed someone to say, don't be so hard on yourself, man. Don't be, don't be so hard on yourself, buddy. And you know, when someone says exactly what you need them to hear, it's this uh, terrible reflex that we have because when someone says what you really need to hear, you get vulnerable and you feel embarrassed. And because of that, you push the thing that you need away. You push them away when you really need to push into it. And I am so grateful for uh, the people. I'm here because of the people who said what I needed to hear, then noticed that I was pushing them away with self-deprecation and humor or whatever. And instead, they pushed back and they leaned in and they repeated it and they repeated it until it sunk in and I soaked it up. Because those words were life, and I needed that, and my tank was empty, and I needed those words. So I know I'd have to tell past Andy again and again, don't be so hard on yourself. And he'd say, it's all right, man. Yeah, you know, I'm strong. It's cool. Whatever. You know, like, <laughs> I don't need It's fine. I'm not that hard on myself. And I'd say, Andy, it's all right, man. I know you're struggling. You're really struggling. It's not just... I'm struggling. You are, you're in a hard place right now. Don't be ashamed of it. And don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself, bud. It's all right, man. And I'd say, that's cool. <laughs> and I'd be like, shh. Don't be so hard on yourself. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Or maybe you need a different word. I actually think I need a different word today. I think I found what I needed to hear today, what I needed to hear in my pep talk, and this is how I did it. Here's the exercise that you can use today. Use the knowledge that you know that, uh, that you know exactly what past you needed to hear. And then travel through time in your mind and ask yourself, what, does, what would future you tell current you? What would future you know that you need to hear right now today? This tool helped me realize exactly what current puddle on the floor defeated Andy needed to hear today before he recorded this episode. I can just look into even just one year, one not year, one hour ago to Andy who's trying to find the strength to push record to record this episode and he's drenched in defeat from yesterday, from, from being crushed by trying to get this thing done and trying to get a million things done and nothing going his, his way. And he's drowning in the spirit of defeat. Even just an hour ago, past Andy, it's you from the future, just one hour into the future actually, and I'm here to tell you this. I know you're feeling defeated and I know you're feeling like a wimp and I know you're feeling like a puddle on the floor, but here's something I know about you. 
you are so tough. And current Andy says, no, yeah, no, I'm kind of tough, guys. Yeah, I've got pretty big muscles and stuff like that. It's all good. No. Cut it out. Just, Just listen to me for a second. You are tough. Where's that toughness? Where's that fight? <laughs> I got the fight, man. I was like, shh, hush for a minute and listen. And I grab current Andy, me, future me, grabs Andy by the shoulders and says, hush for a minute and listen. You are so tough. Even when things don't feel right, they don't feel like the right time, everything's in the wrong way, your emotions aren't where they need to be, you feel like giving up, you don't. You never do because you are tough. Where is that fight? Where's that determination? Where's that power, that fire in your eyes that I know you have? You are tough as nails. Where's that fight? Where's that determination? Where's that fire? Yeah. You've got it. And when I hear that current, when current me, here's future me say that, my eyes change. That defeated, sad puppy dog eyes disappear. And I have that look of determination that says, I may not win, but I'm not going to be defeated because defeat just means giving up. I may not win, but I'm going to get in that ring. I'm going to quit trying to run away. I'm going to dig in my heels. I'm going to grit my teeth. and I'm going to press record, and I'm going to say... Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show helps you find your creative fight. You are tough. You will not be defeated because you cannot beat something that refuses to quit. Come on. That's what I need to hear today. And maybe you do too. Let me look you in the eyes and tell you something. You are tough. Where's your fight? Maybe you have to get a part-time job. Maybe you have to get a job to survive. Maybe you have to, you know, talk to somebody, you know, work through things, get through, survive, whatever, but don't give up. I know you won't because you're tough. got one more question I want to answer and I put it here at the end because uh, I want to plug some future tour dates for the creative pep talk speaking extravaganza aka Andy J Pizza going and talking in places Um, and I wanted to give you some details about some events that we are a part of that you can connect with and I wanted to put at the end so that you didn't have to stop in the middle of the episode to go buy the tickets Um, after I answer this question we'll just have the the old outro thing so it's just gonna be thanks everybody we love you thank you but let me just tell you real quick about some events that we're a part of because you've asked for recommendations first question I want to tackle is kind of just an intro question I get this question all the time what conferences and events and workshops do you recommend so I've been thinking about that question very, very seriously recently because uh, whether you know it or not, I take uh, I take this role of being the pep talker in your brain weekly very, very seriously, and I take that 
that relationship and that trust super seriously. And, you know, I know what it's like 10 years ago to be a struggling creative. So I know what it's like to have money struggles. And I know what it's like to be investing in your career, uh, even when, you know, money isn't super tight. And I just take it super seriously. So I think really long and hard about what are my recommendations. And so over the past couple months, I've been weighing up the speaking opportunities and collaborations and affiliate partnerships. really seriously and thinking a lot about it. And so I've declined a few and I've accepted a few and I've only accepted ones that I believe are really great recommendations for you, my audience. So here they are. There's two, there's two events coming up in the first half of the year where Creative Pep Talk is an affiliate, which means we get part of the ticket sales that we sell. And if you're looking for ways to support the show, this is a great one while also getting something phenomenal in return. So the first one is in LA. It's Kathy Heller's Dreamtopia Workshop. Kathy Heller was just on the show. She is a professional musician and uh, podcaster. She's got a phenomenal podcast. That episode, that interview I did with Kathy is set to be one of the most popular episodes of our show. Tons and tons of wild feedback and uh, partially why I decided to speak at her event and collaborate with her in this way. She's doing, a, a, it's called Dreamtopia Workshop and it's, it's going to help you find what you want to do and how to do it. And it's March 14th and 15th at the Harmony Gold Theater in LA. Jeff Goins is going to be there, Sahara Rose, Amber Ray. Uh, a whole wide variety of different types of creative professionals all at the top of their game doing incredible things. Uh, and I am super stoked to be there. I'm actually humbled to be there among this crowd. Um, if that sounds like your kind of thing, I think it's going to be a deep experience. I think it's going to be a, a wide experience, a wide experience of different creative professionals. Um, you can go if you want to support the show and you want to go. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. Find the show notes for this episode and you can click the affiliate link there. Use promo code ANDY in all caps, A-N-D-Y, and you'll get 30% off your ticket. I'm super pumped to be there. I've never been to LA and I know I have a lot of friends there and a lot of listeners there and I'm super stoked to go speak at Kathy's event and uh, see what happens. So second one, the second tour date of Creative Pep Talk, if you will, in 2019 is the Creative Works Skill Camp. We love Creative Works. I've been doing his conference the past couple years. It's April 4th and 5th. This is a new thing. This isn't the Creative Works Conference. This is Creative Works Skill Camp, and it's a new take on the conference experience that I think is really needed. I think there's a big gap in the market for this kind of thing. Gail Anderson and I will be the keynote speakers, but then you'll pick one particular workshop track, whether it's logo making, uh, vector art, uh, hand lettering, like you're going to pick one track and you're going to focus on that for two days of intensive training with people like Draplin, DKNG, uh, the Hood Sisters, Mary-Kate McDevitt. It is going to be crazy. I feel like, you know, going to conferences can be great for building relationships and having a good time. But sometimes you leave the conference and you think, I don't know if I really changed. I think this 
has the potential to be a real turning point and uh, inflection point. I think the attendees are going to be high caliber. The workshop leaders are super high caliber. I think it's going to be a formative experience. So I'm super pumped to be involved in something that I think is so needed. If you want to go to that, use promo code CPT50, CPT in all caps, 50 for $50 off a ticket. You can find the link in our episode show notes, or you can go to uh, creativeworks.co and find the skill camp link there. All right. Those are two that I recommend, highly recommend. Another one I'll just shout out if you're looking for online stuff, Lauren Hom does a Lauren H O M does a phenomenal class called uh, passion to paid. And I'm going to probably be involved doing stuff with her in the future, but I think she is uh, the real deal when it comes to creative career. I think she knows how to deliver real value and, uh, and, and real craft and great thinking and copywriting ideas and prompts and just, all the stuff we talk about on this show. So if you're looking for some online resources, I'd definitely check out her Passion to Paid class. That's it. That's another episode of the podcast, the Creative Pep Talk podcast. Thank you, future Andy, for pepping me up. I'm feeling pretty fantastic. And when I started this episode, I was feeling a little bit like, I don't think I can make this thing. So, yeah, baby, got that fight back. I, you know what, I, I watched uh, this video of uh, Neo in The Matrix when he, the first time he doesn't run from the agent. And if you're familiar with The agent, with the Matrix, you know about this. The first time he looks away and the people, uh, you know, his, his people in the real world are saying, run, Neo, run. And he looks at the stairs and he thinks, I'm, maybe I'm going to run. And then he's like, no, not today. I got my fight. And I just, man, honestly, I just wept. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I just felt like, oh, yeah, baby. Uh, I feel like we need, we're a generation who needs to freaking find our fight. We need to own how freaking tough we are as people. And as creative people, I want us to find that fight in us and I need to remember that I have that in me and not be so um, defeated all the time so anyway that's where some of that came from thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music thanks to Alex Sugg for the soundtrack and for editing this show so beautifully thanks to all of you guys for listening and all you creative pepperonis out there Uh, for buying the calendar in the Etsy shop and all that kind of good stuff and all the great reviews and the patrons and uh, you guys are just the sweetest sweethearts in the in the world and until we speak again stay pepped up